When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We are in our studio and we don't know who's calling who. Okay. Well, are we rolling? Turns out Ken Roach is calling us. Ken Roach is from Seattle. He's an engineer and Ken lives on a houseboat. Or really, it's called a liveaboard. This is an important fact to know in our story today. It is also the reason that Ken gets to tell stories about his life that are related to the movie that haunts pretty much anyone who grew up near Seattle, Sleepless in Seattle. There was a Korean tourist guide that uh, purported to show people coming from Korea where the Sleepless in Seattle houseboat was, but they gave my address instead. So I I horribly disappointed uh, dozens of Korean tourists. Okay, he may have disappointed some tourists, but on Reddit, Ken Roach saved someone's life. We think. Ken Roach, username Kakerlak, is part of a now famous mystery on Reddit that we're about to try to solve. And when I say we, I mean Amory. Ben. Josh. Amory. Josh. Ben. Josh. (laughs) Ben. (laughs) Okay, this is the perfect time to say that this week, Amory and I have some help telling our story from fellow WBUR producer Josh Swartz. Josh, if I were going to say you had a beat at least this week, I want to say your beat would be like the no beat. This is definitely true. (laughs) And you're somewhat new to Reddit, uh, but you really dove into this story. And I feel like this is an example of some of the best stuff that Reddit really has to offer. Definitely. This is top shelf material, which is to say it is an insane original post by a now famous Redditor. And a kind of insane response from our friend Ken, whose response to the original post is so amazing and maybe accurate that it launched a conspiracy theory, or maybe a couple of conspiracy theories. And there's also some poison in this episode. Yay, poison. (laughs) Yay, poison. (laughs) Also puns from the Reddit comments, so good. Josh, uh, can we get the basics or some of the original Reddit posters comment? So I think the first thing you have to know about this story is that this person, R. Bradbury1920, wrote a post that begins like this. On the 15th of April, I found a yellow post-it note in a handwriting that wasn't mine on a desk reminding me of some errands I had to do but told literally nobody about. While odd, I chalked it up to something I did in my sleep, thinking maybe in my half-awake state I scrawled it so it didn't appear to be my handwriting. I threw it out and thought little of it. This is happening apparently in Massachusetts, right? Like where we make this show. But as near as we can tell, because it says, like, M.A. in the post. Yes. As a non-Reddit expert, it would appear that this story takes place somewhere in Massachusetts. Okay. Which just made this creepier for me. Go on. So this person, R. Bradbury, 1920, four days later, they find another Post-it note in a similar spot. Hmm. Same handwriting as the previous note. 
And this time, the message on it says something like, make sure you saved your documents. Ah. So what would be the first thing you guys do in this situation? I would contact my landlord to see if anyone else could possibly have the key to my apartment. Yeah. I would get some TNT. I would put it throughout the apartment. I would blow it up (laughs) and and run away. (laughs) So this is how R. Bradbury actually responds. I was freaked out, but there were no other signs of a break-in. So I set up a webcam in my house, aimed at my desk, and used a security cam app for it to record after detecting movement. Okay. Because okay. oh, they're kind of much smarter. <laughs> I think at this point they're kind of scared that the landlord might be someone's creeping doing this. Yeah. Because yeah. the landlord also has a key. So then they wake up and find another post-it note. This one, this is definitely the creepiest one. Says, "Our landlord isn't letting me talk to you, but it's important we do." Now I got the creepies what? again. I got the pins and needles. This I know like... this story already, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's and paranormal I'm still activity. Yeah. That's what it is. But so this person is like, oh, but I have a webcam. Like, I'll be able to see who left it. I immediately checked the webcam's folder on my computer and found nothing from the night before. But my computer's recycling bin had been emptied, which I'm certain I did not do recently, indicating someone had noticed the webcam and deleted the files. Serious no. problem. No. Oh. no, this is not good. No. <laughs> After that happened, they wake up. Another post-it note. This time, not even inside the apartment. It's just on the outside of their door. It's blank. Look down the hall. There are post-it notes on the front of all the doors on that floor of the apartment building. Ugh. R. Bradbury, 1920, decided to post on Reddit. He posts, or they post to the legal advice subreddit. Right. And Which is where people go for legal advice. Legal advice, right. yes. And the headline to this post says something like, my landlord is stalking me. Do I have any legal recourse here? I have no proof except for the post-its, but those are written by my pen and on my post-it notes, so conceivably I could have faked them. Would contacting the police get me into any trouble if they can't determine an outside source for this? I just want to make sure I'm not wasting anyone's time. Should I consult my landlord, those also living in the complex? I pulled up a letter I received from my landlord back when I moved in, and the handwriting is identical. Could this count as evidence? All right. um, I guess this is where we should say that the three of us kind of know how this plays out, right? Like, we should admit that. I just want to say that I did not know this much detail about it. Like, I have a sense of where this is going, but you just strung us along. Beautifully. Well, the reason this By is beautifully, such... I mean <laughs> terrible. Creep, creepily. <laughs> I mean, the reason this is such a juicy story is because there is actually an answer, and it is pretty satisfying. Okay, Ben, what do we call in this one? Maybe something wicked, which refers to that very creepy Reddit post, but also, well, don't worry, you'll find out. I'm Ben Brock Johnson, and this is Endless Thread, a show featuring stories found in the vast ecosystem of online communities called Reddit. I'm here this week with producers Amory Sievertson and Josh Swartz, and we are coming to you from WBUR, Boston's NPR station.
Okay, so we have this weird story from this Redditor, our Bradbury1920, and they don't know what is going on with these weird notes in their house. They think it's the landlord, but there were a couple of other theories. Josh, one of those theories, which was suggested in the original post itself, is sleepwalking because people can get real weird when they're sleepwalking. True. And since this was one of the primary theories, at least in the beginning, I called someone who could verify or debunk this idea. His name is Tom Scammell, and he's one of the directors at the Sleep Clinic, which is part of Boston's Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Uh, I think in some ways what people do when they're sleepwalking is a little bit like what you could imagine somebody doing if they're really, really drunk. You know, they're, they're blundering around, kind of doing stuff but not doing it well. All right, I don't hear anything in there about forgetting, though. Well, no, though that does happen. But there's a bigger issue with this theory, according to Tom Scammell. He looked at this post carefully, and he pointed out something that made it hard to argue that this was a case of sleepwalking. The thing that I find strange about it is that writing would be an unusual thing to happen because writing is a very high-level cognitive function. And to see fully formed and sort of good-looking sentences like, our landlord isn't letting me talk to you, but it's important we do, um, that's pretty sophisticated. He said it wasn't impossible for this to be sleepwalking, but as an expert reading a post about something super weird on the internet, he just didn't think it held water. Fair enough, so we can set that theory aside for now. Which is why, you guys, we need to get back to our man Ken here. Yeah, let's talk about Ken. Ken is really the center of our story. And Ken responded to that original commenter and got famous on Reddit for his response. And I feel like all the information we've gotten about Ken immediately kind of established him as an interesting character. I'm, a, I'm an engineer. Uh, I built uh, control systems for industrial machinery. We mostly supply equipment for, uh, for Boeing. So he basically helps build planes, but he lives on a boat in Seattle with his wife and a dog. You know, I, I tell people you can, you can learn what it's like to live aboard just by moving into your bathroom for a month uh, because it's going to be cold and, and there's going to be a lot of condensation and it'll be really cramped uh, and, you know, all, all your clothes are going to get ruined by mildew. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I slide back the, the hatch and uh, pop out and I'm looking at Lake Union and the Space Needle. And, uh, man, there's just a smile on my face every day when I, uh, when I get up down there. Even in mid-January? Even in mid-January. Uh, I was up late browsing Reddit, as one does. And uh, uh, I like the legal advice uh, subreddit. You know, it, it must have been you know, 9 or 10 p.m. And, uh, and up comes this, uh, this thread where this guy is, uh, is asking a question about a landlord-tenant law. What was your initial reaction when you first read this post? Legal advice attracts a lot of folks who, are, uh, who, who have emergent mental illness, actually. Hmm. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of posts you've probably seen where people are asking, how do I, uh, you know, how do I get this FBI tracking bug out of my arm? Or uh, what do I do because people are following me? And, mm. and it's, it's, if you look at their posting history, it's very clear that uh, um, sometimes they're posting about their history or their medications, uh, or it's, it's obvious that they're undergoing some kind of uh, hallucination. Or, but, uh, but this person, uh, I, I browsed through their posting history, and, uh, and there wasn't anything like that. Uh, but one thing there was was a post where they, uh, they were asking an, in, an interior design subreddit 
about how to fit a, a desk and a bed into a really, really narrow apartment that they were moving into that didn't have any windows. And it turns out they hadn't actually moved into that apartment yet. Right. But that got me thinking about, uh, you know, gosh, an apartment in Boston with no windows. Yeah, they're, of course they're hallucinating. Their landlord is not coming in and, and writing notes. Uh, but why are they hallucinating? And here is where the boat part of Ken's story becomes relevant. Because part of Ken's experience as a lifelong sailor plays into why he responded to this mysterious person in Massachusetts. Right. Sailors like to tell each other warning stories about what can happen if you're not careful. Sort of tales of the open water that scare you into making sure you don't forget something or screw something up. Uh, people are in the abstract afraid of dying. They're, they're in the concrete afraid of, uh, of being uh, naked, confused, and covered in poop. By the way, this did not happen to Ken. It happened to this other sailor at one of the yacht clubs that Ken belonged to. Apparently, the guy was out sailing on a calm day, passed out, and woke up miles away in False Creek near Vancouver, naked, confused, and covered in poop. And that sailor's story happened for the exact same reason that Ken, one night, almost inadvertently killed himself, his wife, and his dog on their boat. I'd, I'd made dinner, and, uh, you know, my wife and I had shared a bottle of wine. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm really over hot, but it's really cold outside. I, I opened up uh, a little hatch in the, the forward uh, sleeping berth of the boat. And that bit, bit of uh, ventilation uh, and the, the fact that we ran out of propane uh, shortly uh, compensated for the fact that I was still running the stove and had forgotten about it. Wow. And so it just popped... Uh, popped up when I was thinking about this person's uh, post. Yeah, so can you read your comment on Bradbury's original post out loud so listeners can hear it? Can you just read your comment to us? Uh, what I replied was, you seem sincere, and this doesn't appear to be the plot of a Ray Bradbury short story. It's possible that your landlord is leaving notes inside your apartment, but they don't make any sense in the context you're describing them. It's likely that you're writing the notes yourself, but you are forgetting. Is there a chance you're not getting enough ventilation when you sleep? where there is a carbon monoxide leak in the building. A cheap CO detector, which you should have anyway, is a fast way to find out. You'll also have really bad headaches. So, Josh, Ken posts this comment, then what happens? Well, R. Bradbury starts posting in all the comments on the post. And they say they are actually having headaches, just like Ken suggests. And then they say they've plugged in a carbon monoxide detector. And it immediately reads 100 parts per million. 100 parts per million, which just from the sound of it seems dangerous. Super dangerous. Carbon monoxide is toxic to everyone at just 35 parts per million. And one of the other side effects of carbon monoxide is confusion and hallucinations. So they immediately left and went to stay somewhere else. It's probably safe to say that can likely save this person's life. But there's something odd about this whole thing that we haven't really talked about yet, which is that we couldn't get R. Bradbury to go on the record with us about this story. Josh, you tried over and over. I did, and I did get a response, a personal message, but the message said, thanks, but I'd rather sit this one out. But carbon monoxide poisoning does seem like a legitimate explanation for this whole thing. And we know this because we talked to someone who loves talking about carbon monoxide as a deadly gas. In fact, she called it a wonderful poison. Ugh, I love her so much. Okay, wonderful poisons and conspiracies in a minute.
A gruesome scandal at the nation's most prestigious university shines a light on a macabre and lucrative world of buying and selling human remains. Human body parts taken by a manager at the Harvard Medical School morgue and then sold to customers online. So my first skull is right there on the top shelf. That's my first and my favorite. I'm reporter Ali Jarmani, and this story raises some tough questions. How should we treat the dead? And who gets to decide? There should be some middle ground where we treat deceased tissues differently than we treat old refrigerators. This is Postmortem, the Stolen Bodies of Harvard, a new season of WBUR's Last Scene. Listen and follow Last Scene wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're talking about this crazy story, and we actually happened to find a Redditor who is also a poison expert. Deborah Blum, um, director of the Night Science Journalism Program at MIT and the author of The Poisoner's Handbook. Deborah's book tells the story of two scientists who invented forensic toxicology in the U.S. in the early 20th century. And her interest in the field comes from her own background as a cop reporter covering everything from homicides to fires. If you're a cop reporter, you are going to run into carbon monoxide all the time. If you think about what kills you in a fire, sometimes it's carbon monoxide, sometimes it's toxic chemicals. And even in this country today, there are an awful lot of people who are killed by carbon monoxide. Yeah, you, like why do so many people still die from carbon monoxide? Why is this a thing? Carbon monoxide is a wonderful poison from the homicidal or the efficiency point of view. It's odorless. It's tasteless. It's silent. A carbon monoxide leak is not going to give you any warnings of the fact that it's there. It doesn't go whooshing out. It's a slow seep. And so you see people, they have a a furnace that went bad. They uh, have a boat motor that's leaking. There's a car that they forgot to turn off in the garage even. How does carbon monoxide poisoning compare to other types of poisoning? Carbon monoxide at a very high dose is such a potent poison. When the carbon monoxide binds with the hemoglobin in your blood, It's such a powerful chemical bond that it changes the color of your blood. And your blood will become much pinker, kind of a deep rosy pink. And so when people see the corpse of someone who's died of carbon monoxide poisoning, they'll always say that is one healthy looking corpse. Wow. So it's like they're rosy cheeked corpses. Yes, that's exactly right. And so every poison has its unique signature that way. That's really one of the most notable ones of carbon monoxide is the change in the color of the blood. So we're talking to you, you know, as an expert on this this topic, right? And the reason that we're doing that, which I know we've sort of you have a sense of, is this story that appeared on Reddit of this person who was finding post-it notes that were mysterious in their home and this random other person who had had carbon monoxide poisoning in the past Mm. sort of guessed that this other person might have carbon monoxide poisoning. So does it seem legit as it were? I mean, does that sound like something that might happen to somebody who is having like a low to mid-level carbon monoxide poisoning? It does because, again, when you go through kind of the mechanics of this, you're talking about 
your brain, which needs oxygen to function fully and to um, stay sharp and alert and self-aware, is being essentially starved by the carbon monoxide of an essential fuel. And I would add to that that if you saw other symptoms related to low-grade carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, I've had more headaches than usual. This person had headaches right. um, every every day when they woke up, apparently. They were having headaches. And that makes a lot of sense because when you are up and about, you're not getting that same exposure that you would get when you are lying in bed with this steady drip of carbon monoxide into the air. So you would be get a higher dose during the night. Now, you're a journalist and a science journalist, so I'm going to ask you to do something which just give me your reaction to this. The story as you understand it, does it sound like a plausible explanation that this is carbon monoxide poisoning? Does it sound like a probable explanation? And I know that we are, we're sort of guessing here. It's a plausible theory for a real-life event because, in fact, it, it ticks off a lot of the boxes of how carbon monoxide might work. So could you actually be writing notes and not know you were writing notes? I would say you could. I, I would say that's not the most common symptom, but I, that goes back to plausibility. Is it a plausible symptom? It absolutely is. I mean, this is a pernicious poison, right? It alters the way your brain works. And if it does that enough, it, it kills you, right? But I think we haven't somehow gotten the word out enough, People are continually exposed to carbon monoxide still. We still get hundreds of deaths in the United States every year. I mean, hundreds. And despite all that, we never think it's going to be us. If you were going to poison someone... (laughs) (laughs) My editor uh, at Penguin told me never to tell anyone that. Ah, damn it. If I were to poison someone... (laughs) So here's my best advice if you were suddenly in a homicidal mood. Pick a poison that you can just get anywhere so no one can say, why is that person mysteriously going out and acquiring arsenic? And pick a poison that mimics, um, you know, a lot of uh, natural symptoms so that there's unlikely to be a tox test. Um, I, I don't know if you have a partner, but I imagine that they're very nice to you. Well, my husband actually said to me, he goes, if I die of poisoning, everyone's going to know who did it, right? Which is probably entirely true. (laughs) He's not worried at all. (laughs) Deborah Blum, thank you very much for talking with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, bringing this fascinating story here. Ben, are you planning a murder? Yeah, what's going on over there? (laughs) Look, guys, it's just important information to have, okay? And I guess that's a nice way to transition to the very last bit of all of this. This whole story, as strange as it is, might be too good to be true. It might be fake. Yeah, and there are a couple reasons for this. For one, our Bradbury 1920 won't talk to us. And there are a few explanations for that. I mean, they said in one of their updates that they actually got a settlement from their landlord. Who didn't turn out to be an apartment creeper, but may have been the reason the apartment didn't have the proper detectors. And that settlement might have a clause in it that prevents our Bradbury 1920 from talking to, you know, people like us. Because that landlord might still be a landlord. 
But then there are the conspiracy theories too. One, that the username itself is kind of a sly reference to carbon monoxide as a result of lots of forms of combustion. Combustion being, you know, a pretty key part of Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 451. Like, maybe this is a kind of very well-disguised PSA for making sure you have a carbon monoxide detector in your house. We asked Deborah Blum about this connection. I'm not all creeped off by the Ray Bradbury part of it. I mean, Ray Bradbury wrote some really interesting, troubling stories. I wasn't thinking just of Fahrenheit 451, but I was thinking of Something Wicked This Way Comes. And that would be a very interesting title for a story like this, right? But Ray Bradbury's uh, science was absolutely grounded. Paper really does burn at 451 degrees Fahrenheit. So I think he, and if you could say nothing else, you'd say he'd love the story, right? So Deborah doesn't smell a conspiracy. But what about Ken Roach, the guy who seemed very available to talk to us, but who also seemed to suggest details that we hadn't really found in some of our Reddit sifting. Yeah. Also, he says he's a Ray Bradbury fan. He's got some of Bradbury's books in his boat up in the cabin where he almost died of carbon monoxide poisoning. It all seems almost too perfect. But we asked Ken straight up, how do we know that you and our Bradbury 1920 aren't actually the same person? It, you know, good point. I never really thought about that as uh, Fahrenheit 451 involving combustion. I understand they're doing a movie about it, uh, another, or a new movie. I think Michael B. Jordan is in it, so I'm excited about that. Are you part of the marketing team for the no. new movie that's coming out? <laughs> no, but I saw it on r slash movies uh, yesterday. <laughs> um, but, you know, how, how can you tell that this wasn't some great conspiracy that I was posting both sides of it? I, I suppose you can't. Uh, yeah. It, I like to think that if I was, there would be more drama. Uh, <laughs> that, you know, the, there would be a first, second, and third act. Uh, there would be a hero's journey. Uh, instead, there's just me and this, this person out there uh, with a poorly ventilated bedroom. There's a bunch of top comments that are, that are funny. I just kind of want to get your reaction to them. Please. One of them is, sounds like you owe Kakerlak big time. He may have just saved your life. Glad you figured it out. And then the reaction to that is, that's because he had adequate ventilation. <laughs> and then the reaction to that was, enough to air it all out. But um, He just needed to vent some. And then the reaction to that is, and this is where the Reddit part of Reddit comes in. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? The continuous series of puns. Makes me wonder if the whole thing's populated by Canadians. <laughs> I think we should go visit Ken and his wife and their dog on their boat. Like, we could read some Ray Bradbury stories out loud by candlelight. Okay. You just got to make sure he turns off the stove. <laughs> Wait, you guys don't want to wake up confused and naked and covered in poop? Uh, no, dude. You're on your own with that one. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm all set. I'm good. All right. Well, friendly reminder, folks. Install those carbon monoxide detectors. This episode of Endless Thread was paid for by the Coalition of Concerned Americans who are totally against carbon monoxide. Just kidding. (laughs) 
Endless Thread is a production of WBUR, Boston's NPR station, in partnership with Reddit. Our show is a dream realized by Jessica Alpert, who, when we ask if she likes the episode we've put together, she says, WTF. Iris Adler is our executive producer, and she makes sure our stories meet the bar of mildly interesting. Mix and sound design by John Parati and Paul Vikas, who, whenever we go to record in the field with them, they remind us, Nature is Our web producer is Megan Kelly, who looks at our attempts at writing web copy and goes, Our intern is Chris Yulian, who when we put him on a task, he politely says, Hold my beer. This episode came together this week with lots of help from Josh Swartz, producer at WBUR, who looks at our copy full of SAT words and says, Explain like I'm five. Our advisor is Michael Pope, and we slack him all the time to make sure he's not out of the loop. Our theme music is by Squelcher. Thanks to Redditor MXLXTXV for our artwork this week. His artwork is titled Demon. You can find that piece and a bunch of other stuff at WBUR.org slash Endless Thread. We are also on Reddit. Endless underscore thread is our username. And by the way, Redditors, if you want to make art for an upcoming episode or give us a story tip, you can hit us up. You should know our show is produced by Amory Sievertson. I'm senior producer and host Ben Brock Johnson. I'll let myself out. <laughs> <laughs>